I'm Pastor Katrina, and I'm excited to join you for the third week of our series, Ezra Out of Exile. We're digging into the Old Testament book of Ezra, where the Jews returned to the holy city of Jerusalem after being exiled for 70 years. This week, we pick up in chapter three, where we learn that one of the very first things the Hebrew people do as they begin again is to lay the foundation for the temple and build an altar for worship. Let's lay the foundation for our time together. Let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, I pray that in this moment, each person within the sound of my voice or watching me now will know you are present and you are real with us. So quiet the distractions around us and may we center ourselves on you and you alone. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The great civil rights leader and congressman John Lewis passed away last July. And like when any great leader dies, the stories of his life came rushing in all around us on the news, on social media. And so we got to know him in a new way, a personal way, and for some for the very first time. With Lewis, it was of course, the stories of the good trouble he caused taking a stand for voter rights and racial justice. But those stories were already widely known. It was the family stories of his childhood that were being brought to light in a new way. Lewis grew up in a deeply Christ-centered home, and from a very young age, he wanted to be a preacher. He was a shy black kid with a stutter living in the deep South. With this desire to preach in his heart, he found a captive congregation at the chicken coop. This flock became his church and his siblings began to attend hen house weddings and funerals for the chickens. It sounds so silly. And in part, I'm sure it was quite entertaining, but it was also where John began to find his voice. The voice he used to cry out to God and declare God's goodness the voice that God would later use to speak truth to power again and again. And in that way, the hen house, that farmland, became John's holy ground. What has been your holy ground? Where have you experienced God? What physical location have you been in when you encountered the divine? My father, like me, was also a Methodist minister and used to talk about the large rock formations on my great aunt Eunice's farm. He would sneak off to these away from his five siblings and use the rocks as a sort of sanctuary. There he would kneel to pray, find a moment of silence, and I'm guessing practice his preaching. No chickens, just rocks. He said these rocks made him imagine he was in the Holy Land, the Middle East, the rocky garden where Jesus knelt to pray. It was his holy city in the middle of rural Adair County, Kentucky. For some people, holy ground is a building, a church. It's stained glass windows or wooden pews that hold memories or multi-purpose rooms with a stage, lighting and music that moves you. For others, it's a camp or a retreat center where you first committed your life to Christ by the cross on the hill or the chapel by the lake. Physical space can become holy ground, filled with memories and rich with a history of people experiencing the Holy Spirit. For the Israelites who have returned to Jerusalem after seven decades of exile, their understanding is that God only dwells in the Holy Temple. 
and that the way to worship God is to offer sacrifices of burnt offerings on the altar in the temple. They haven't been able to do this in all their years away, so they're eager to quickly build an altar and begin again. That's where we pick up our scripture story in Ezra chapter 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites were in their towns, the people gathered together as one in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, Josedek's son, along with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, Shealtel's son, along with his kin, started to rebuild the altar of Israel's God so that they might offer entirely burned offerings upon it as prescribed in the instruction from Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundations because they were afraid of the neighboring peoples and they offered entirely burned offerings upon it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening offerings. However, the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid, so they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar wood by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, according to the authorization given them by Persia's King Cyrus. When the builders laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests, clothed in their vests and carrying their trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Aspa, with symbols arose to praise the Lord according to the directions of Israel's King David. They praised and gave thanks to the Lord, singing responsively, He is good, His graciousness for Israel lasts forever. All of the people shouted with praise to the Lord because His foundation, the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Jerusalem was the holy city and the temple was considered the physical geographical location where God's presence could be found. So upon returning to the holy city, building the altar and laying the foundation of the temple were to be the first priority so that the Hebrew people could once again worship their God properly as they had been taught, giving thanks for God's faithfulness and also in order to stay in what they thought were God's good graces so that they could continue to be free, no longer prisoners and able to remain in their homeland. While most were overjoyed at the ability to once again burn sacrificial offerings on the temple altar, the passage goes on to tell us that some were disappointed. Those persons old enough to remember what it was like in the old days when God's presence actually showed up in a very physical, tangible way at the temple in a cloud of smoke, these persons could actually be heard weeping in the midst of the shouts of joy. Their physical, geographical, holy ground had changed. It wasn't the same. They weren't encountering God as they once did decades ago, and they felt let down. That's the thing, no particular place, space, building, room, set of rocks or hen house can contain the Spirit of God at all times in the same way. God's Spirit is on the move. And most importantly, we learn through Jesus Christ that God dwells within you and me. Jesus teaches us this so well through his interaction with the Samaritan woman. When Jesus encounters a woman drawing water at a well, he confuses her by offering her living water. He's basically introducing himself to her in his classic mysterious way of saying, hey, what's up? So I'm God, I'd love to give you eternal life. And I can't imagine why this might confuse her. 
but she's smart and she figures it out and immediately begins to name all the reasons why she is unworthy. She's had five failed marriages and now she's living with a man she's not married to. Jesus is like, I know, okay, so what? I love you anyway. But the woman starts talking about all that she's been taught about the right way to worship God and the right place to do it in, on the mountain in the holy city. What it comes down to is she really doesn't think she's worthy. But Jesus looks at her and says, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship Him in this way. Jesus is saying it's not about where or how you worship, it's about who you worship. It's about getting to know God because when you have a relationship with your Creator, your Sustainer, your Redeemer, you will be able to be your whole self, to be real, and to worship God in spirit and in truth, to show up fully you. Gone are the days of having to make sacrifices of burnt offerings to get God's attention, to be good enough for God. Jesus paid that price. It is finished. We don't have to earn the right to come before the Father. God doesn't want your burnt farm animals. God wants you, all of you, the sacrifice of your time, of your attention, of making God the Lord of your life above all else, above your job, above your finances, above your social life, even above your family. God wants to dwell in you and to be that still small voice of peace within you, guiding you no matter where you are or what situation you find yourself in. If there is anything we've learned over the last year, when our church buildings were forced to close, it is that worship cannot and should not be confined to any particular space or geographical location. The act of worship, wherever it takes place, centers Jesus in our lives. Worship is not simply something we schedule and attend. It is our way of life. In an article for Christianity Today, Reverend Dr. Daleslin Kennebrew says, true worship, in other words, is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. We worship God because He is God, period. The Israelites were not able to worship in the way they had known for 70 years. You may feel like an exile from worship right now. Maybe prior to the pandemic, you were worshiping with us in person, but now just isn't the right time for you to return. And so you're worshiping at home away from what you've always known. Or maybe you feel exiled because for whatever reason, church has never felt safe for you. Not necessarily physically, but maybe emotionally, even spiritually, because humans hurt humans, even church people. And so you choose to worship online away from any conflict or condemnation. The good news is God is with you in spirit and in truth. You can worship God just as you are. 
God meets us wherever we are. And there in our kitchens, our cars, our back deck, our front porch, God invites us into a sacred relationship. Friends, wherever you are, God is with you. And so you are standing on holy ground. May you worship God by centering your life around Jesus Christ in this moment, on this day, and in the week to come. Amen.